Precious are his delight, precious in his holy sight. He'll not let my soul be lost, his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. The Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Everyone say amen. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to just gather and hear the voices of our church family on either side of the room singing these truths, reminding one another of the gospel. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in that way, in such a way that we could just be reminded of the goodness of Jesus Christ. All right, we are in our ninth sermon in the series, Faith in Action, Following Jesus in Real Life, and we are continuing in chapter four. So you guys go ahead and open up to James chapter four, and I'm actually going to focus in on two verses, right? Your bulletin says we're running through 12. I'm going to just focus in on verses seven and eight today. So let's look there, verses seven and eight of James chapter four. I'll read our text for us. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for gathering us this morning with the freedom and the ability to hear, Lord. I pray that you would allow us to hear this word and, and show, it what, show us what you have for us in the message today. Help us to learn and to grow in our love for Jesus Christ and our Christ-likeness, Lord. Lord, as we, as we walk with you, I pray um, that lives will be changed and hearts will be changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Ephesians, we read these words. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And before we jump into our text today, I want you to consider that to stand against the schemes of the devil is to stand on the work of Christ. It's to stand on the finished work of Christ. Do you ever go through a cycle in your life where there's a particular sin that is just eating your lunch and it's making you sick, right? And I won't give examples, but I imagine for most of us in this room, something or some things came to mind. Why am I this way? Why is my heart bent in this way? And you continue to go through this cycle of sin and repentance in your life and you think to yourself, what's going on with me? Are you sick of it? And this The text today says to submit yourselves, therefore, to God in light of the fact that he gives grace to the humble, and it says to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, in so many movies where someone finally becomes aware of of what's going wrong in the world around them, they decide, I'm going to stand against this, and in so many situations, they'll find there's already a group of people fighting this fight, right? And there's this phrase, welcome then to the resistance, right? Within the body of Christ, we have been wrestling with sin, and we have been desiring to follow Jesus and to kill this root of sin in our hearts for years. And as people are woken up and brought into the body of Christ, and as we become convicted and become more and more like Christ as believers, we find people to walk alongside of us, say, I'm struggling with the same thing, and here's how God helped me through it. Let me help you as you wrestle with this, and as we apply the gospel in this area of your life. But to resist the devil that he would flee, right? To, to recognize the work of the enemy in our lives. First, we have to get an idea of who the enemy is, to get to know the enemy. Who is this? 
Do you ever think about the way that movies and TV and media depict the devil? Right? It's, it's generally not biblically, biblically accurate. First, right, maybe you'll see him as this lovable, mischievous kind of anti-angel, right? He's just on the other shoulder, and he just has this other way of living, right? It's not all that bad, but it's just not maybe not the best thing. Or you might see him depicted as this ruler of the underworld, right? The bad people go to the bad place where the devil will punish you forever. These are, neither of these are biblical views of the enemy. So let me just read to you the, this text from Revelation 20.10. It says this, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's not in charge down there. He's been defeated. He knows his final defeat is coming, and for all of eternity he will be punished for standing against the Lord. Right? Know your enemy. So our text in a nutshell today from James chapter 4 is this. It's a simple text in a nutshell. To submit to God is to resist the devil. To resist God is to submit to the devil. Jesus Christ has made a way for us to draw near to God and for hearts to be made pure. And we have two points today, two large points. One is who do you work for? And two is wash your hands. So let's start with point one, which is who do you work for? It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. One thing we've got to understand that's hard to get into our hearts and to get through our skulls is that everyone works for someone. Everyone is under authority and always will be under authority. But people, right, our nature is that we are so obsessed with our personal autonomy. No one is going to tell me what to do. It's like from the moment, you know, if you have ever seen a baby grow up, from the moment that baby realizes, oh, I have a say in the matter, you know, maybe you get a blissful 15 seconds of, hey, come over here, and they come over here without thinking. The minute they realize, oh, I could turn the other way and walk over there, all bets are off. And from that moment on, we are fighting and struggling, trying to find a life and build ourselves a life where we don't have to answer to anyone. But it doesn't exist. You know, I've got a ton of nieces and nephews, right? And when I was a teenager, the oldest ones were babies. And I remember holding them, and it's the best thing ever when a baby, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, you're holding them and they want to be held and they're snuggly and they kind of snuggle into you. But then they start deciding, hey, I want to get up. And they'll straighten up their bodies and just kind of slide off, you know? And it's not, no matter what you do, you can't get them to snuggle back in. And I remember saying these words, you know, when I have kids, they're never going to pull that on me. I'm not going to have these kids that straighten up and slide off their lap because I'm in charge and I'm the dad. I will just report to you now, 20 years later, it didn't work the way I planned, okay? People want their way. They want to do what they want to do. And that's just the way it is. So we all work for someone, however. We're going to find that that just doesn't happen. And it doesn't matter how high you rise in life. There will always be some authority to whom you um, have to submit. In the business world, if you start the most successful business, 
It's a wonderful business that everyone interacts with. You're always going to have someone to answer to, right? You're going to have stockholders, board members. You're even going to have customers to answer to. If they don't like your product or if you're not changing fast enough, I mean, you can't just do whatever you want. You have someone to answer to. You may finally be your own boss, but you still will not be fully autonomous. And it's the same way in our spiritual lives. There is no such thing as being neutral spiritually, right? So many of us brace against the idea of submitting to a holy and righteous God, and people think, if I don't submit to him, I can have it my own way. But that is not the way it works. There is no spiritual Switzerland, right? There is no neutrality. You are choosing one way or the other, and even if you choose to walk away from the Lord, you are choosing the enemy. You can trick yourself into believing that you're simply doing whatever you want, following your heart. But scripture is clear. Listen closely and hear me when I say this. If you are not following Jesus Christ, you are literally following the devil. Let that sit for a minute. Because for many, you may say, no, 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 whoa, whoa, I'm not trying to get that serious here. I'm just not trying to be all serious about following Jesus. Let me read to you from the Bible. It says, Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Here it goes. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by very nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you are not following Jesus, we hear, hear from Paul in Ephesians 2, you are following the, the enemy. You are following the prince of the power of the air. You are following the devil. Now, if you look here in James, uh, earlier on in James, uh, he's continuing on the topic of conflict and desires in this section. So you remember I ended two weeks ago with conflict, and we talked about if you are in a conflict, what causes, you know, quarrels among you, what causes wars, is it not this, right, that your passions are at war within you, you want something, you desire, and you can't have, so you murder, right? You can't have these things, and so you break relationships. It goes on to say that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that was the verse we ended on right before we jump into today's two verses. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that word there, opposes, has a much bigger picture to it. It actually speaks to being in full battle array. So if you are aware of your sin and you choose to dig your heels in, it's not a simple opposition. It's not simply I'm not on God's side. It is all of this power comes against those who are proud. Because the author of pride, the author of sin, is behind it all. And that is the devil who we are called to resist today in our text. So we pick back up in verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. And in light of the weight of evidence against our natural desires, and in light of the fact that we are, um, that these things are fueled by the enemy himself, he says, submit to God. So what does it mean to submit? So a simple definition is this. To submit is to accept or yield to a superior force or to the authority or will 
of another person. So yield to the superior force of the Lord. Submit to his authority because he is worthy to submit, therefore, to God. So you're currently either submitted to God or you're submitted to the devil, and we must know that and we must own it. That's in the Bible, and you are not the exception. So what is it in you and in me that just doesn't like to submit to authority? Think about a situation in your life where you just had trouble, right? Someone else is put in charge. Let's say the boss selected someone else on your team to lead this project. And it, maybe it's someone you don't get along with. And it just was hard for you to submit to that authority, to follow that leadership. Maybe a kid that you don't get along with on the team is made team captain this Friday in the game. And they're making a couple calls. And you're like, I just, I can't submit. We have trouble with it. Or when you go to Publix and you go to buy dog food and it says only two cans because there's a shortage of dog food, right? There's authority there. The manager has authority. And let me tell you something. This is not a hypothetical situation. I've been here in my life in the last couple of weeks. And so here's the dog food. It's hard to find because my dog's allergic to chicken. What is that? And so... We buy this dog food that's really more expensive than most meals that I eat. And... And it says only two cans per day. And so I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not trying to come back to Publix tomorrow. She eats two cans a day. I'm going to put four in my cart. When I get to the, the checkout, I'm going to ask, is it okay if I just buy these so I don't have to come back tomorrow? So I went up there, ready to ask with humility. And the lady made small talk, and I completely forgot. And she just rang them up, and I bought them. And we never talked about it. And I felt guilty for a week, right? Because authority is important, right? You're supposed to submit to authority. But all of these examples, all of these examples pale in comparison because authority is given by God himself. So when we are called to submit to earthly authority, it's a picture. It's a picture of the authority that's been granted for your good and for his glory. We submit. So when we're told to submit, therefore, to God under his authority, is not simply another authority figure to submit to. It's the one who dictates all authority. But still we brace against that, don't we? But still we want our own way, and sometimes we feel, I just know better. All of these examples of authority pale in in comparison to the ultimate authority of Jesus Christ. So let me just read to you from Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says this, He is the the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He has all authority. He is worthy of it. He deserves it. And he deserves our obedience and our allegiance. He is above all things. So you see our logo, our church logo says, Sunrise Community Church. Christ over all. It actually comes from this text. When Pastor Allen was preaching from Colossians, that's when we came, the na- we named it his, uh, his series, Christ over all, and that's why we use that understanding that his authority is over all things. 
right? He is God Almighty. He is worthy of our complete allegiance, obedience, and submission. Romans 12, 1, uh, 12, 1 and 2 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, to submit to God is to intentionally live a life of worship. Paul is saying here in, in, in Romans 12, he's saying, by his mercy, submit your life to him, and this is an act of worship. It's not simply that he has this authority and we are being forced and coerced to listen because he's so much bigger and stronger than us. It's because he is the best place for us to put our allegiance, and he has let us know that through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And in so doing, in submitting to the Lord, we are living a life of Worship. So James says, submit to God. This is the answer to the selfish ambition and bitter envy that we talked about last time that causes your conflicts. Continuing in verse 7, it says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we have talked a lot, if you've noticed, you know, so following Jesus in real life as we talk, as we walk through James... We've talked a lot about the problem of our own hearts, haven't we, right? There's a whole lot of reminder. You know, the problem is inside of you. The problem is you. If you're in a conflict, you're the one that needs to step up, follow Jesus, repent, right, these things. But we have to remember that there is still an enemy there who is a tempter, who is a liar, who is a slanderer, right? Who holds these things in front of us, knowing full well what are the things that will tempt us, what are the things that we will chase to draw us away from worshiping the true and only God. So you remember in James 1, 13 through 15, it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. So we know that's true, obviously. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. But he's tempted, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, what is fully grown, brings forth dead. Reminder, you have a sinful heart. Reminder, James 4, 2 through 4. You desire, you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, you have problems and the problem is in your own heart. But let's clarify, Satan is the author of lies. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, we need not give too much power or too much importance to the enemy of God. But at the same time, we need not and dare not discount the work that he is trying to do in your life for disunity, for broken relationships, for dissatisfaction, to lead you to destroy whatever it is God is building in your life. Let's be aware. Let's be wise. So devil, the word there is diabolo, so it literally means slanderer. He is consistently and constantly slandering the name of God and the word of God to anyone who will listen. That's what he did in Genesis chapter 3, slandering the word of God. Did God really say? He knows 
then he slanders God's motivation. He knows you're going to be just like him if you, if you eat that fruit. Slander, slander, slander. Passing false things that are untrue about the Lord. So he is tempting you to question God's love for you or God's wisdom or God's character. And these are the times that we start running in other directions. If some little crack gets in and you start to doubt that infinite love that the Lord has for you in Jesus Christ, you may be tempted to go looking for it somewhere else. When he slanders the wisdom of God, you may think, you know what? I mean, the word of God says this, but I am seeing things that that disagree from a lot of people I respect. I mean, they've got really high degrees and they're on television or they're on a podcast or they're on YouTube and a lot of people follow them. Maybe there's something to be said for what they have to say as well. I mean, I believe the Bible and everything, but you know, Maybe I just need to start finding wisdom in other places. Or if he besmirches the character of God, right? If God is so good, why is there sin in the world, right? If God is so good, why did this happen in your life? These little things that will be planted in your mind that may, that may tempt you to run in another direction, counter to the will of God for your life. Now, I want you guys to turn here, Matthew 4, everyone, and we're going to read... A a fairly sizable passage, 11 verses together. But so the text here says, and James it says, resist the devil and he will flee. And it may make you say to yourself, so how then am I going to resist the devil? Like, what does that look like? How do I resist the devil? Then the devil flees. And we see an absolute portrait, a perfect blueprint of how that is done by Jesus Christ in the wilderness, immediately following his, his uh, baptism as his earthly ministry is just now beginning. This time of purification and testing in the wilderness begins. And at the end of this time, he's exhausted. He hasn't eaten. He's tired. He's been alone And at this weakest moment, the devil comes to tempt him. So let's see how Jesus Christ himself um, resisted the devil, that he would flee. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out from the mouth of God. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 8. He's quoting scripture from Deuteronomy 8. Now verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands it will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. This is why the usage and the application of Scripture, the understanding of what is meant and the heart behind it and the nature and the character of God to carefully put together doctrines is so important because the devil says, oh, you're going to use Scripture. Here's some Scripture. The devil quotes Psalm 91. He says, he will command his angels concerning you. That's Psalm 91. He says, it's written. You just said it is written, but isn't it written here? That's why you must be discerning about the application, right? And the teaching of the Word of God to understand what is true and what is in line with the character of God that we understand it to be as taught in the entirety of Scripture. Here's a devil cherry-picking verses and trying to apply it wrongly. Deuteronomy 6 is what Jesus uh, 
quotes next. So look at verse 7. Jesus says to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus Christ quotes Deuteronomy 6 and says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then what happens in verse 11? The devil leaves. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do you resist the devil? Ask Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Clinging to the word of God. Clinging to the word. He even says it. Be gone. Get out of here. And here's how. Here's the word of God. You can't stand against this. And then the devil flees, just as we are promised in James chapter 4. But just remember, the devil has not given up just yet. He continues to lie, to tempt, to provoke, to break, to steal, and destroy. And when we run from God's will, as revealed in his word, we run straight into the arms of a bitter, evil enemy. So know this, submitting to God and resisting the devil are actions that we take. These are decisions that we make. To submit to God is not something that's going to happen passively in your life. You're not going to find yourself and look back in the rearview mirror and say, I didn't even try. I didn't even care, but I was there. I was submitting to God. This is a decision that you make, understanding the word of God. Jesus didn't simply say no. He says, I'm not going to worship you. The word says to worship the Lord only and serve him only. This is what we stand on. This is the power and authority that we stand on. It's with the finished work of Christ that we resist the devil, that he would flee. It's by the word of God that we resist the devil and he would flee. And remember that James is talking to believers here. So as we wrestle with our hearts, we don't forget that our hearts have an ally in the pursuit of sinful desires. So think about this to resist the devil. If you are tempted to speak hatefully, resist with God's word. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Do not return evil for evil. Let no corrupting speech come out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up. When you are tempted to speak hatefully, the word of God has plenty to say about that, to stand on. When you're tempted to be jealous and envious, resist the devil with God's word. Every good and perfect gift is from above. My God shall supply every need. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We must rely on the word of God and the promises of God when we are tempted. And resist. When you are tempted to stray, you must fight for your joy. You must fight for this walk, for this, for this love that you have with the Lord, with this fellowship that you have as you walk with him. Resist the devil and he will flee. He is a defeated foe and he knows it. And if you are in Christ, you are kept and you are loved and you will reign with him one day forever, 2 Timothy 12. But we are walking with the Lord and we are in a battle. We are in a battle and we must never forget that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here are two points that are in our text in a nutshell. 
that I want you to remember, I believe that this is what I'm, this is what I'm getting from, from verse 7. To submit to God is to resist the devil. To resist God is to submit to the devil. Okay? Now, I was talking to the youth about this earlier when we turn from our sin, right? To repent, it means literally to turn and to go the other direction, right? Jesus says we are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, right? Repentance isn't simply saying, I'm sorry. Repentance isn't simply stopping doing that thing. Repentance is turning away from that thing and walking in the other direction. If I am walking towards some sin in my life, right? Something that the devil has put in front of me, my heart says, yes, I like that. If I'm walking towards it, it is one thing to stop and say, I'm not going to walk that direction anymore. It's another thing even to say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not going to do that thing anymore. But everything about me says, I'm still facing in that direction. The next time it's time to move this, it's time to move Dave Champagne, which direction am I going to go? The same dumb direction, right? To repent is a turn and to walk in the other way, right? In your pursuit of Jesus Christ in your desire to follow him and your desire to worship him with your lives to present yourself as a living sacrifice. So I ask you, who do you work for? Remember, there is no middle ground and there is no neutrality. Second, it says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded As we submit to God, we find our place of safety and of peace. So submission to him, it's not like submission to a commanding officer or to superior at work. Our allegiance and our obedience are so much more deserved by God than by any earthly authority. And at the same time, when we submit to God, we do so out of love, out of gratitude, out of an act of worship because he first loved us. And as we submit to the Lord, James says we draw near to him. When we willingly place ourselves under the authority, which is the best place we can be in our lives, we are drawing near to God. People desire peace. And people desire love. And people desire acceptance. And it's in Jesus Christ that we find all of these things in infinite measure. So to submit to God is to draw near to him, resulting in knowing him more intimately, to know that peace and to know that joy and to know that acceptance. And we draw near to him. It says draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. We draw near to him by so many of these just simple means of grace. We draw near to him in his word. Do you ever have this? I was talking through this with with someone from our church this week. We have access to so much of the Word of God, right? We've got Bibles within hand's reach, numerous Bibles. I I would wager that many of us have multiple Bible apps on our phone. But how much do we find ourselves mindlessly scrolling and doing things that have no benefit to our souls when you just have to click something else, something that will feed us, something that will give us such joy and such peace in our hearts, right? We draw near to him. We draw near to him in his word. Oh, how I love your law, oh Lord. Your, your, your word is a light, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, the psalmist says. We draw near to him through being around fellow believers, who also have the Holy Spirit. This fellowship is a wonderful thing, 
right? To forsake not the assembly of ourselves together, that we will stir up one another to love and good works, we find in Hebrews 10. To be around other believers, it's a regular means of grace that we can take for granted so much. When you are around other people who also love Jesus, just think about the way you feel when you leave those meetings. It's such a good thing. How can I pray for you? Praying for one another, sharing your burdens with one another, sharing your struggles, and also just hanging out in a way that just has such a more encouraging and and lighthearted feel when you are around other people who love Jesus Christ. We draw near in our thoughts. I remember when I was a kid, I had decided, I remember asking my mom, I said, certainly you can't control what you think about, right? Just whatever pops in your head. And she's, she's like, that is the opposite of true, right? And she told me about our need to control the thoughts that happen in our mind. We draw near to the Lord by the things we dwell on, the things that are true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable. We think on these things. We draw near to the Lord by dwelling on things that honor him, dwelling on things that are beautiful, dwelling on things that will bear fruit in our lives. We draw near to the Lord in our intentions and in our affections, the things that we love, the plans that we make. What is the motivation behind it? Are we intentionally making decisions that would help us to grow in our walk with Jesus Christ? Are we intentionally making decisions in our lives that will help us to encourage others to do the same? So we draw near to the Lord in our intentions. We draw near to God and he will draw near to us. And we draw near to God in worship. Now this right here is such a beautiful picture, right? And I always like to say it's a la- uh, corporate worship is a landing pad, but it's also a launch pad. It's a landing pad because you guys are coming in here off the battlefield. You've been everywhere all week doing what you do, trying to make wise decisions, probably having some decision fatigue, having some victories and having some failures, but we come back together to regroup, to remember how good Jesus is, to remember the gospel, remind one another, and then it's a launch pad because, all right, let's go out and do it again. All right, let's go out and share Christ. Let's go out and be uh, the, the hands and feet of Christ in our community for one more week. See you next Sunday, right? These are wonderful things. So we draw near to God in corporate worship, but when we draw near to God in worship is not simply corporate worship. Drawing near to God takes us right back to the beginning of verse seven. Submit yourselves to God, right? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. When we Read our Bible and do what it says, not to earn anything, not to check a box, but just understanding the authority that Jesus Christ is fully due in our lives. This is an act of worship. And so we draw near to him by affirming that his way is the best way, that there is no wisdom, there is no counsel that can stand against the Lord. So again, drawing near to him is not passive People do what they want to do. So if you wonder to yourself, why do I find myself in the same sin again and again? People do what they want to do. And the Lord is in the business of changing our hearts, changing our wants. That's the whole sanctification process. He's making us more like Jesus. Our wants will change, but we draw near to him and he draws near to us. It's the synergistic nature of our sanctification so it goes on in verse 8. It says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So James is talking about repentance here. You literally turn and walk the other way. So remember this. James, as we learned a while back, 
was the, the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. He's writing this letter to believers. He's writing this letter to people who are regenerate believers in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, cleanse your hands, you sinners. So he's not saying positionally that you're sinners. Relationally, there are times, right? He's not saying there's ever a time if you are a believer in Jesus Christ that you will now not be in the family of God, that you will now not be saved, that you will now not be one of his. He's not saying that. Please don't hear me saying that. But there are times in our walk, happens more often than we would like to admit, that the fellowship that we have, that closeness, that sweetness, that intimacy that we have as we walk with the Lord can be broken because of the things that we decide to chase because we know better or so we think. So he says, repent. He says, wash your hands. Fall on the grace of Jesus Christ to get back on track, to restore joyful fellowship with him. Again, so I remind you and put this in front of you that you don't dig your heels in. When you are convicted, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin in your life, that is a gift to you to call you to repentance to call you back on track. Don't dig your heels in. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So then he says, purify you ha- your hearts, you double-minded. And this is to talk about rooting out these besetting sins, rooting out these sins. You know, it can be such a way in our lives that we follow the Lord, and I mean, we're just... It's kind of following on all, firing on all cylinders. I'm in the Word. I'm going to church. I'm worshiping. I'm helping. I'm serving at the soup kitchen. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But there's that one little pet sin that we're like, you know what? It's okay. I'll just kind of manage it. You know, I'll just kind of manage it. You know, no one kind of knows about it. It's not causing that much trouble in my life. If that's there, you know, just kind of leave me alone. I'm doing okay. I mean, give me a break. No one's perfect, right? These, this idea that people have but to root out that place, right? What David calls the secret heart, the inner being. You delight in truth, he says in Psalm 51, in the secret heart, in the inner being. So we root out those sins. He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded, right? So that harkens back to James 1, and we talked about this. So in James 1, 5 through 8, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when he says purify your hearts, you double-minded, he's already defined what that is. That's someone who doesn't trust the Lord. That's somebody who asks and doesn't even think that God's even going to answer a prayer, right? That's someone who's standing in two different worlds. That's someone who's trying to have dual citizenship, like Adam taught for us recently. That is someone who thinks that I can ride both, that I can, you know, straddle the fence and just be okay. This is, a, this is someone where it says you double-minded. Just purify your hearts. Be all in. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. So I ask you, who do you work for? Know who you work for and be honest with yourself. Don't lie to yourself. You know what's going on in your heart and so does the Lord. There is no reason to put on airs about it. Who do you work for? Remember, if you're not living for Jesus Christ, there is only one other option. You're not just going to be okay. You need Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord created this world exactly according to to the way he would have it to run. But 
It didn't last long. In Genesis chapter 3, there is a fall. People disobeyed God for the first time when, when the slanderer came and said, and questioned God's word and questioned God's character. The people disobeyed and sin entered the world. And ever since, people have been struggling, struggling, trying to gain supremacy and gain power. And sin has been evident everywhere in this world. You and I were born with a sin problem and there's nothing we can do about it under our own power. And left in this state, we fully deserve justly to spend eternity apart from God in a very real place called hell. But Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. He died a death on the cross that you and I deserve to die. Three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death in the grave, and he says, repent, turn from your sin and follow me. Make that dead heart alive. Take you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. To sprinkle water on this, on this dead heart, right? To make a heart of stone, a heart of flesh. He says, I will make you my own. So not only will you be with me in eternity, for all of eternity worshiping, but even here in this world, I'll make you more like myself each and every day. So answer that question for yourself. Who do you work for? And to wash your hands, you need to follow, follow Jesus Christ and trust in him as your only means of salvation. To submit to God is to resist the devil. To resist God is to submit to the devil. Jesus Christ has made a way for us to draw near to God and for hearts to be made pure. Let's pray. Lord God, you're good to us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the grace available because of the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, there are so many things that compete for our attention. There are so many things that seek to form us in the image of this world, in the image of this culture. Lord, I pray that you would saturate our hearts with your word. Help us to have a greater love for the word of God. Help us to have a greater love for being around the people of God. Help us to have a greater love for dwelling on the things that honor you. Change our hearts, Lord, for those of my brothers and sisters here, Lord, for those of us that are here that are dealing with something that is so deeply rooted in our hearts, we are just fully aware we're not going to get rid of it ourselves, Lord. I pray that standing on the word of God and, and resting on the finished work of Christ, resisting the devil, that he would flee, I pray that you would give victory in those areas. Lord, I, I pray that we would see people walking, growing in Christ in ways that they just remember doing so 20 years ago, before things fell flat and they got complacent. Lord, I pray that now, even as we sing, it would be out of joy and gratitude for the fact that you are the only one that changes lives, and you are the one who promises to love us and never leave us or forsake us. And I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that the word that has been spoken, the gospel that has been proclaimed, Lord, they wouldn't be able to sleep tonight because of the truth that they've just heard, that they would follow you, Lord. Lord, be glorified in all of the things that you alone accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen.